You're listening to The Preppy Podcast. I'm your host, Patricia May Marish, and I'll be interviewing the brands, businesses, and influencers who are keeping the modern preppy lifestyle alive. Each Tuesday, I'll bring you a new episode, but if you're craving more preppy, then shop the merch at thepreppypodcast.com and follow at The Preppy Podcast on social media. Today I'm talking with Angie Ever-Turner, who I met at the Southern Sea. A lawyer who specializes in working with creators, I thought she'd be the perfect person to have on the podcast, as a good lawyer is something every business needs, especially one that focuses on this field. We talk about her journey from law school to owning a successful stationery company and then back to law again, and how this background makes her perfect for what she does today. All right, so why don't you tell everyone who you are, where you live, and what you do? Sure. Uh, my name is Angie Avar Turner. I live here in Georgia near uh, Thomasville, and I am a attorney. Uh, I'm, a tr- I'm an attorney for creative entrepreneurs. Very cool. And I connected with you at uh, the Southern Sea, and I love that you sort of had that focus because obviously I work with so many creative entrepreneurs doing PR for them, um, and I'm always telling them that they need a lawyer, (laughs) which we'll talk a little bit more about later. But um, I guess my next question is, you know, have you always sort of wanted to be a Mm -hmm. lawyer? Like what was growing up like for you? Were you creative? Were you entrepreneurial? Um, What what was it like as a kid? Yeah. So um, I had a a pretty cool childhood. Um, I had two very supportive parents and um, I was sort of precocious a little, maybe some would say on the bossy side. So it wasn't far into my childhood that people started saying, you need to be an attorney, you need to be a lawyer. So that was always sort of spoken over me a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, also, you know, had an interest in that. But what was funny was I noticed as a, as a child that I also had an interest in color and patterns. And I didn't really know what that was, you know, as a child, but I can remember mm-hmm. I was the kid with the coloring you know, the, the crayons that, you know, the 64 pack or the 96 pack or whatever. And I just was fascinated by all the colors and how they all played together. And, you know, um, as I got older, I got interested in textiles and, and, um, and just how that all worked. And, you know, when I was growing up where I, where I'm from, you know, if you were artistic, that meant that you painted, well, I didn't really paint. So Mm -hmm. I think I had this creative side, but it wasn't clear how to sort of cultivate it. Now there's so many outlets and ways to do that. And so, um, I always had it. I was always doing DIYs. When I was in fifth grade, I had this whole three ring binder of fashion designs that I had sketched and, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they were extremely 80s, big, you know, big puffy suits <laughs> and big wide belts, which, you know, I mean, it's kind of coming, coming back. back around. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so yeah, I was that kid. I mean, I think I had an artistic side and I had an analytical side, but I didn't quite know how to marry those together. But but they were always sort of running um, parallel um, mm-hmm. with one another. So um so yeah, that's, but, but I mean, as far as academics went, I mean, and as far as a career path, it was always really clear that, um, that I would do law and, but yeah. you know, it wasn't clear that I would do something creative ever. 
Got it. Okay. So now where and what did you end up studying then when you went to college? I assume it was something to do with like pre-law. Right, right, right. So um, I attended Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina, and, um, and I studied political science. And so did all of those things that you do, like when you are lining up a career for law. And um, mm-hmm. I worked on Capitol Hill and, and worked um, and with, for the federal courts and did several, several uh, clerkships. So um, it was a great experience. I mean, Furman was just one of like a once in a lifetime experience for me. I, I just, I loved it there. And, and I feel like I thrived. So mm-hmm. yeah. No, that's amazing. And it sounds so great that you kind of knew all along what you wanted to do. And you kind of sounds like the adults around you sort of saw where you were talented and your strengths were and sort of supported that and guided you. Um, I had a family friend that sort of guided me in the PR communications field because I feel like had I not had someone do that, I might not know that that actually would be a great fit for me. Because when you're a kid, it's like, I don't know what a publicist really is. And, you know, I'm sure same thing with a lawyer when you're a kid, like you see it on TV, but like, what does it actually mean? (laughs) That's right. And, 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 you know, there, one thing I didn't know, I mean, I think I'm the first attorney in my family. So, um, so there wasn't, in, in terms of people knowing what that, you know, that there's so many different areas of the law. I didn't necessarily have that type of insight, but I had a lot of encouragement and, and prodding and, you know, you can do it a lot, you know, and keep going and don't quit and all of that good stuff. But, um, Mm -hmm. but as far as knowing sort of what area of the law I wanted to go into, it was really a lot of trial by error. And um, I started out thinking I wanted to do criminal law and, Um, I just, I know, and I'm, and I'm so thankful we have those attorneys that do that on both sides, but I found out I just did not have the mental stamina to handle that. And um, so anyway, you know, it was doing a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of internships that helped me sort of hone in on, on what area, you know, I wanted to practice in and what now has become my practice. So Definitely. So now where did you end up going to law school then? Right. So I went to law school in Michigan, which is a very interesting oh. story. Hadn't planned on it. <laughs> um, and it involved my husband who, <laughs> he went to Michigan first um, to obtain a second degree in furniture design. He's actually the one with all the, the design degrees. Um, oh, I have cool. I have no design degrees. Um, but anyway, he was up in Michigan getting a second degree in furniture design. And um, at the time we had already dated, I don't know, maybe six years or so. We grew up together. We've known, we've known each other since we were five years old. And um, so anyway, you know, I told him, I was like, I don't think I'm going to go to Michigan. That just seems really cold. <laughs> and, um, I was like, I'm going to stay down here in the South and go to law school and you do your, you know, thing with furniture design. And, you know, I'm just going to pray that this all works out since we've invested so much time with one another. And um, anyway, through an interesting series of events, um, I was going to have to wait a whole nother six months to take the LSAT again. And so um, I was like, okay, I'm just going up to Michigan. It kills two birds with one stone. You know, <laughs> it's like yeah. I'll be able to work, start, begin working on the degree that I've always wanted and be able to maintain this relationship that I, I want, you know? And so, um, so anyway, never say never. 
because <laughs> you'll be proved wrong. And, um, and it was, it was a, fa- it was a fantastic experience. I mean, Michigan, I never would have lived there had that not happened. And, um, it's a lovely state and just the nicest people. So, um, anyway, that's where I went to school. Oh, very cool. That's so funny. Um, you know, you never know where you end up. And like you said, never say never. And it ends up being a good experience. At yeah, the end, you know, completely. <laughs> everything happens for a reason. That's right? right. That's right. Completely. I'm a firm believer in that. So now after you went to Michigan for your law degree, then right. what was your first career? And did you go off and um, were you practicing law then? Or what did you do something else? Like, what was that journey? Like your first right. career? Right. So this is where the story gets a little a little interesting. So, <laughs> so my husband's job was, um, he was a, he finished his, his degree in furniture design and he became the design coordinator for a high end case goods furniture company. And so he had the coolest job ever was traveling all over the place. And I had finished my degree and a uh, law degree and was looking at, um, you know, uh, interviewing with firms and I could never get past the one year, five year and 10 year plan because, you know, they would ask that question. I'm like, I have no clue. I I don't even know what we're having for dinner tonight. So I'm not, I'm not real sure exactly what all of that's going to look like. And, you know, my husband and I had discussed eventually wanting to move South because we're both from, from here in Georgia. And so it just seemed like it was becoming more and more permanent. And at the time we didn't have children. And so we were like, okay, well maybe now's the time to make the move. And so before I take the Michigan bar and I mean, that's a huge, you know, time investment and financial investment ongoing. So, so we decided to move back home to Georgia. Well, um, we moved back home to Georgia uh, and um, I was the only female attorney in, in my town. Um, and oh my I, gosh! <laughs> and, and I think actually someone pointed out uh, recently that I, I was I'm the first, so that's also very interesting. So, wow. um, so anyway, lots of firsts. Um, but anyway, I I interviewed at some firms nearby, and it just became really clear very quickly that 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 whole firm life and just general practice um, was not going to satisfy me in terms of my professional goals. And even though I really wasn't clear on my professional goals, it just, it was like, this isn't, this isn't what I want. This isn't what I was envisioning at all. Mm -hmm. And so I came home from those interviews, um, a little discouraged, um, because of some of the things that had been said. And, and I I told my husband, I was like, well, I'm not practicing. I'm just not going to do it because I'm not going to do what I, what I don't want to do. And, and, and I guess the other piece of that was, you know, when you're in law school, um, you hear a lot of it, there's a lot of cynicism and there's a lot of, sometimes can be a lot of negativity. And, um, and I'm not that, I'm not that person just by nature. I mean, take the lawyer out of me and I'm still not that, I'm not that person. And so, um, so that bothered me all the way through law school, watching people just be like, super cynical and then just negative about the profession. And yeah. like, and, and so the other side of the lawyer in me was like, well, I'm going to prove them wrong. I'm not going <laughs> to be that person. I'm not going to be that statistic. And so, so when I got came home and was like, you know, this is not what I want to do. And this, these offers are not what I want. Then I was like, okay, well then I'm not going to do that. Um, so I kind of, um, I worked on a nonprofit organization. I actually helped our town um, 
get the designation for Main Street, um, which is a national program for small towns to, you know, receive um, certain grants to do beautification and streetscapes and, and um, um, facade grant type things to, you know, help make them look cute and pretty and all that good stuff. So people want to come, um, come visit and shop. Um, so I did that. Um, I was, it wasn't anything that I was super passionate about. I mean, I was mm -hmm. glad to do it and it was interesting, but I wasn't just like, okay, now this is what I'm going to do. I knew it wasn't going to be my final landing place. Um, and all the while, uh, I was teaching myself, <laughs> teaching myself Adobe Photoshop and kind of fiddling around with it and trying to figure out how to design things. And um, so as I was doing that, I mean, my husband, of course, was working. And so, I mean, we weren't dependent on my income. And so mm -hmm. I had that margin and that space to sort of explore and figure things out. And so as I was teaching myself this, I was creating these designs and um, not really sharing them with anybody, not really showing them. I mean, I would show them to my husband and that would really be it. Well, anyway, um, fast forward and um, a couple months, probably maybe more than that, maybe six months or so. And I had a luncheon to go to and, um, it, you know, the, the invitation said no gifts, please. And so, I mean, where I'm from and I think generally speaking in the South, I think that means, you know, just don't bring anything too nice, you know, Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe a card, maybe just a little something, but, but don't go, don't go spending a bunch of money. And so, um, I thought, well, I didn't have a card, but, and I was kind of at this time we had our, we had had our first child. And so she was a baby. And so I had the babysitter and I kind of was, you know, struggling at the time with like mom guilt, like, should I leave her? Should I not leave her? I just couldn't make a decision. And finally I was like, okay, I'm going to this luncheon. <laughs> but then I had procrastinated so that I didn't even have a card. I didn't have a gift. And I was like, oh gosh, I've got to take something. And so and then I remembered, I was like, I have these designs. I'll change the monogram, print them out on my inkjet printer, <laughs> tie them up with some raffia and, you know, and off I go. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I, I was like, okay, I'm satisfied. I have, I'm bringing something now. And I thought to myself on the way to this luncheon, I was like, oh, well, she won't open it because it wouldn't be polite to open everybody's <laughs> gifts. Cause but what if somebody didn't bring one, even though everybody knows they sh technically yeah. should. So I get to this luncheon and there's like 40 women there and, you know, I'm having a great time and, and all of this. And, and then, um, at the end someone goes, Hey, well, why don't you open your gifts? I was like, Oh my gosh, no, 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 don't open, <laughs> don't open any gifts. So, and I had already told the girls that were there that I had a babysitter. So I couldn't just say, Oh, um, I've got a scoot or whatever. So, um, so anyway, I felt like I was stuck there and I literally started breaking out in sweats because I was so like, I don't want anybody to know that I've designed these things that I've made this. I'm so like feeling like, don't look at my work and, mm -hmm. and, and, and feeling extremely vulnerable and put out there, you know? Um, so I thought, Oh, well there's, you know, close to 40 gifts, even though no one was supposed to bring anything. Um, maybe she won't open mine. I can like scoot out before she opens mine. Well, mine was the second one opened. <laughs> so, you know, I was just absolutely mortified. You know, I was just, it was worse than having to stand up in front of a judge. I mean, it was yeah. just stressful situation. One of the most stressful things. And so, um, everybody was like, you know, ooh and on over the, over the 
gift that I had made. It was stationary. And they were like, where did you get that? And I was like, well, actually I made it. It was like, oh, I don't want to have to tell everybody this. And then actually what happened was, is I started taking orders there at the luncheon table <laughs> because oh my gosh. they started asking me like, well, can you design me something? And what can I, you know, what designs do you have and how much does it cost? And all of the questions that you would figure out if you were going to be in business for real, you know, before you ever put something out there. So, so I literally was at the luncheon table making this stuff, you know, just up on the fly. And I took probably four or five orders. I mean, a couple of the girls were just like, I don't even care what the designs are. Just make me something. And I was like, <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> oh my God. So I did that for a couple of weeks and, you know, my husband's like, okay, this is not sustainable. I was like, I know, I know. So, um, so then I started really pulling things together and actually being a little more intentional and strategic about it. And, um, so, um, pulled designs together. Um, and then I did a couple trunk shows, um, in the South regionally, like in, in my area and then some other places. And I had other, other, um, products that were not my brand. And what okay. I noticed was when I did these shows that my things were sell outselling and outpacing other, other brands. And so I was like, this is interesting. You know, I mean, obviously my stuff is selling. Um, so I came back to the drawing board and this was over a period of a year, I would say okay. um, I, I went back to the drawing board and I knew like both sides of my family, my, my, my family, my husband's family have, um, you know, entrepreneurial experience. They they own businesses for generations, and so going into business wasn't strange to me. Like that mm -hmm. wasn't really that scary because that's what I, that was what I knew. Like from both sides, my family and my husband's. Um, so so that part wasn't weird. And my husband's side of the family has both retail and wholesale experience, and my my side of the family had printing experience. My grandmother and grandfather owned um, a printing shop, so I had sort of you know, almost everything by, aligned. Yeah, almost by osmosis, I had all of this, um, these things that I had experienced, but didn't know, you know, that it was all going to come together. And so, um, so when I started, I knew I wanted to do wholesale because I knew that would um, sort of put me on a, a bigger stage more quickly. And um, so that's what I sort of focused in on um, first. I mean, I didn't really have a great website because I was so focused in on doing wholesale. And so that's what I did. Um, and we, uh, we started, I think my first show is, I mean, the business started before my first show in Atlanta, but my first show in Atlanta, I believe was January of 2005. Okay. Um, and the brand name was called Hype Stripe. Uh, and yeah. And we um, grew, you know, we had one product and that was the most gut-wrenching thing to do. That first show was like, okay, well, if you don't like this one product, then you're not going to, no, you're not going to buy it. <laughs> so what was that one product? Just one was, specific thing? Well, it was just folded notes. I mean, I had okay. you know, dozens and dozens of different designs and everything was packaged really cute with ribbon. Like that was my thing. It was like the design, it was taking that childhood love of color and pattern and now now converting it to an actual product because all my designs had lots of pattern and then the textile piece was the ribbon, you know? And so I, I just absolutely loved coming up with a design and then figuring out what ribbon was going to tie it off and finish it off. And so that was, I mean, you were buying the product as much as you were buying the, pa or you were buying the packaging as much as you were buying the product. So, yeah. um, so when it was in people's stores, it really 
um, when you had a, you know, a good showing of it, it really made a great display. So, um, so how do you get that business off the ground then kind of word of mouth and then getting into retail stores? It sounds like. Yeah. So, I mean, I had a, I had one or two stores just locally around here that agreed to take my things and I, and I had done the work beforehand. Like I knew to have opening minimums. Um, you know, I knew how I knew to do all of that. Um, before I even started. And I actually, before I went to market, I had created this little four by six um, postcard. It's the worst photography. I mean, just absolutely, you know, just terrible anyway. Um, but I had my little, my little collections. And so like when you would buy the stationery, you would buy a collection and it would have like maybe four or five different colorways so that it looked really cool on the retailer's shelves or whatever. And, um, so I had these collections and these four or five pictures on this little postcard and I, you know, did some research and figured out like stores that I thought would be, you know, would be complimentary to, or, you know, would want to sell my product or I would compliment their store. And there were certain brands, like, I guess intuitively I didn't go to school for this, but I like, so there were certain brands that I felt like, if this store will sell this brand, then they probably will like my brand. And it wasn't that I was yeah. in competition with them, but like, but you they know, merchandise had, nicely together. Right, too. right. We had yeah. sort of the same vibe going on. And so, um, so I would look for those stores. I mean, like if back in the day, like in 2000, you know, four or five, like if, if a store sold Vera Bradley or Lily Pulitzer or, you know, some of these other brands, I was like, okay, they probably will like my stuff too then, you know? And so those were the stores that I targeted. And so I just looked up their addresses online and sent them, you know, this little postcard. I had 300 of them and I just, I did it all by hand and then mailed them out and was like, I don't know if I'm going to get anything back. And off of that, those little postcards, I got 12 new customers, like side, side unseen. They bought off this, this terrible little postcard. I still have one of them too. I actually had it in my Bible just to remind me of, you know, where I came from and what I was doing at the time, you know? So, um, anyway, so when I went to market in 2005, I already had 12 customers and they were not like people that I knew, like they weren't friends of friends of friends. They're actual, you know, legitimate people that were interested in my, in my brand. So I had that and then went to market. Um, and then, um, I was surrounded by some really sweet people who, who were showing or who were exhibiting, um, where I was exhibiting. And, um, one of them was, um, an artist from Jackson, Mississippi, and she's still in business. Her name's Tay Morgan. And she had been, she had been exhibiting, I don't know how many years before me, at least a few. And, um, she just really, um, took me under her wing and gave me some really great advice in terms of, you know, business and, and advertising, like where to advertise, you know, in Atlanta. I didn't know any of that really, you know, and I just knew I wanted to create stuff. I mean, yes, I had a law degree, so I knew to ask questions, but I still didn't Mm -hmm. know all the things, you know? And so Mm -hmm. she told me where to advertise and, you know, um, just, you know, diff- just different little things that you learn when you're, when you're in the business, um, in the wholesale business. So it was, it was so fun. I, I really did love it. It was stressful at times, but, but so the one product grew. <laughs> it definitely the, is so fun. It is. Um, the one product grew into ultimately 80 products and, wow. and the one booth space grew into, um, three booth spaces. And then we ended up having our own showroom. Um, and building too. So um, so that's amazing. And how, so how long did you have that business for? 
It was about 10 years. Okay. 10 years, yeah. Very exciting. And then eventually, I assume you launched more like e-commerce as well then. Um, not really. <laughs> no, really? Oh, my gosh. No, no, we really, I mean, we did have online, but but it was so interesting at that time when we were selling wholesale. Um, retailers were very, like, we would have retailers come to us and they're like, if you sell online, I'm not going to buy from you. You know, so it was yeah. like this, this push and pull of, you know, feeling like now retailers, it, everybody sells online, you know, yeah. so it's not that big of an issue, but it was, there was always this push and pull of, you know, well, if you, if you're selling off your website, that means I can't sell your product in my store, which, you know, at that time they probably could sell it better than I could on my e-commerce site, you know, but, <laughs> but, um, but it's just, it was just, everybody was still on the learning curve of how mm-hmm. all of that really worked, I think. Um, but, for sure. But, yeah. So why did you decide to close that business then and when? Yeah. So I think, let's see, 2012-ish was when we really pivoted out of it. Um, okay. And there were several factors. One of them was our family was growing and doing trade shows, you know, from Atlanta, New York, and Dallas repeatedly just is a grueling schedule when you have small children and you're trying to mm-hmm. sort of maintain a family life. Um, so that was one reason. A second reason was um, the recession had hit. And so that was a, um, you know, that was a tricky period. I mean, people were, retail stores were falling out left and right. And so that was, that was a really tough, that was really tough <laughs> period um, yeah. and an interesting situation to sort of navigate. Um, and it, I mean, the other thing was just I think I said that, I mean, the family part, but then the travel piece was just exhausting too. So it was like, it was just a, it was a desire to simplify. Um, I mean, my husband and I were just like, what are we doing here? Like, like it started out really great and things were, I mean, they were growing great. We grew, we had, we were in 46 States. We had 2,500 accounts and um, I mean, we were doing seven figures. So it wasn't, it wasn't so much that our business wasn't doing well, but it also was just, it was grueling, you know, and, and um, it was taking a toll personally on us. Um, I mean, not just in a bad way, but just it was like we just felt like we were on a pinwheel and we couldn't get off, you know, and mm-hmm. um, we wanted some margin. And so that just seemed like a, you know, good time to just sort of pivot out of that. And um, so my husband and I were like, well, what do we need to do? And he was like, well, you could practice law. And I was like, yeah, I guess I could. <laughs> but it was like, why do I want to go back to doing something that I in a way that I didn't want to do it 10 years ago, you know, and then yeah. the whole sort of, oh gosh, I've been out of that industry for 10 years doing this whole creative thing. So, so there was sort of a, like, you know, gulp and, oh gosh, how's that going to, what's that going to look like? I have so much to catch up on, you know, things have changed so much in, in 10 years. And, um, so anyway, I started, I started doing it and, um, I took a class from an attorney up in New York city and the class wasn't so much to teach me law, but it was to sort of talk about, you know, how to set up your law practice and what does that look like? And when I, I mean, the minute I took the class from her, I think it was like a six week class that had homework and all of that stuff. And, and, um, and once I took the class, it was like the light bulb went off, um, because I really was sort of, it wasn't so much searching for like how to do 
like law, like I understand law and all of that stuff. It was more yeah. like, where do I niche down? You know, I mean, if mm-hmm. I don't want to do general, how do I niche down? And so she was instrumental in helping me figure out like how to build a niche. And I think that's, I mean, I think that's valuable information, not just for law, but for any any industry, because I mean, you can't be all things to all people. Right. And, and so, I mean, her advice and her guidance was just absolutely pivotal for what I do now. And so, um, once she and I began talking and I was kind of in this, like, I don't know how this is going to work. And she goes, well, what have you been doing for the last 10 years? I was like, hanging out with all these creative people and, you know, running this creative business. And, and she goes, and what does your email list look like? And I was like, it's over 10,000. She was like, Angie, those are your people. Are you crazy? And I was like, oh, oh yeah. I mean, so it was just right under my nose the entire time. Yeah. It was just so simple. I missed it, you know? And, yeah. um, and then almost in a flash when she said that, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations in trade shows I had where, um, where somebody would say like, you know, well, where did you go to design school or where did you go to art school? And I'd say, I did. And I went to law school and they're like, oh gosh, well, what about this contract? Or I have this situation right now with this employee or, you know, someone just knocked off this design or, you know, Mm -hmm. all of these different legal questions. And so like all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, all these people have all of these legal issues and they're asking me because they don't have someone else to ask or they don't. Yeah. Because if they did, they would they wouldn't be asking, you know. And so it just dawned on me when she said it. I was like, "Yeah, that's it." So, um, isn't it funny how sometimes you need like an outside perspective because you can't see it, even yeah, though it's right, right in front there. of you? Totally. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson too. Is a you know keep learning. Like I always yes. am taking online courses and yeah. you know reading books and working with consultants on different things, because there are some things that, you know, you don't see, and it's always good to stay fresh and relevant. And um, so by keep, you know, attending things and learning, that's how to do so, I think. Completely. So when that light bulb went off, I had that moment. um, It was like, okay, off to the races. I knew where I was heading. I actually went back to law school and um, got a second degree in intellectual property, um, a master's in law. Um, So I could sort of differentiate myself out a little further and, um, and specialize. And so um, that's sort of where it all went. And, um, you know, I was able to say to clients, yes, I have this legal knowledge, but I also have 10 years worth of business knowledge and experience Mm -hmm. that I bring to the table that, I mean, because a lot of times creatives have these ideas and they go, they go to just, I don't want to say just any old attorney. I don't mean it to sound like that, but they go, they go to maybe a general practice attorney or a friend of a friend or, you know, a cousin or something. And that's fine. Um, And they're fully competent attorneys, but they're not, they're not focused in on the needs of creative entrepreneurs. And so they Mm -hmm. don't necessarily get not even what the business idea is, but the mindset behind that business owner. And it's so important, especially with creatives to understand, like they have a million, they have a million ideas literally all the time and helping them focus in on and, and strategize on how to take all of that creativity and harness it down, but then also protect it is, is a, a skill that I've honed, but I've also, I've also experienced it from the creative side too. Like, okay, 
I created 150 designs. I can't, we can't introduce all 150, you know? So, mm-hmm. so now who would you say, um, like who, who's your customer now then with your law um, yeah. and who would benefit from your services? Yeah. So <clears throat> I work with, you know, creatives across many industries. I, um, I can't name my clients specifically yeah. um, for confidentiality purposes, <laughs> of course, but, um, but I work with artists. I work with photographers. I work with interior designers. I work with lifestyle brands, um, some influencers. I've worked with a couple of um, musicians, some notable um, um, musicians, some filmmakers, um, what else? I'm trying to think what else. I, and I also work with some professionals. Like I've worked with um, uh, real estate agents, uh, um, doctors, uh, media, like uh, okay. media PR and, uh, and social media um, companies. Um, yeah. So anybody that, if you're creating content or material or you're creating services, those are usually the people I work with. Of course, people in the gift industry too. Definitely. Yeah. Now what's one tip or advice that you, in regard to law that you would recommend that creatives know or have in place or like, what's something that sort of a lot of people could benefit from that you think is so obvious, but like most people don't have it or most people don't know it. Um, I feel like there's so many probably, but what's one piece of advice or tip? This is sort of my, my mantra that I tell people all the time and it applies to just, I mean, if you're a creative entrepreneur, there are several different aspects of your business that need to be taken care of from a legal standpoint, Mm -hmm. because the first the first thing, the first two things that could take your business down or that will take your business down are either the legal or the financial, those two things. And those are the two things that creatives absolutely are like, you know, <laughs> just repel, like repelled by, you know. Yeah, they like, don't have that side of the brain most of the time. Yeah, they don't want to go the other direction. And I totally, totally get it. But I mean, those are the two things that must be, t- because that's sort of the back end of your business. That's the mm-hmm. side that, I mean, everybody sees all the pretty things you create and everything, but that's that's the selling part. The back end, which is the legal and the financial, um, that's the side that nobody else gets to see really. And that's what needs to be tied up and taken care of. Um, before you ever put yourself out there on a platform, whether it's small or large. And so I'm constantly, constantly, I feel like I say this, I don't know, at least a dozen to two dozen times a day to people, like you've got to protect before you can put it out there. And so my sort of my hashtag is if it's worth creating, it's worth protecting. So Mm. it's easier to protect at the outset, no matter how small you are, than it is to defend once you've sort of put yourself out there and, and grown. And a lot of times businesses, I hear this all the time, like, well, I'm not that big or nobody really cares about me or, you know, nobody even knows who I am. And okay. So that, that may be true, but mm-hmm. larger businesses are always looking around at who the next, who's next, who's the next yeah. comer. And they're always looking around to see like, okay, what are they doing? Because they know yeah. they're sort of on the front end of all the new stuff or the newest trend or whatever's, whatever's coming down down the line next. And so that's why you want to protect because you can't get to be that big business if you don't protect because the big business is going to look at your, what you've got going on and they can, they can take, 
take and translate what you've got going on and produce it a lot more quickly, you know, than you can. And if you don't protect it, then you're just sort of dead in the water. And when you say protect, you mean like have contracts in place? Yes. Yes. Is is that what, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Contracts, but then also um, from the intellectual property standpoint, the copyright, the trademark pieces, um, all of that needs to be tied up before you really put yourself out there on a larger platform. Um, I mean, you're going to pay, you're going to pay for legal either way. If you're going to be mm-hmm. a business, it's just part, it's, it's what's part of what you pay to do business. If you're really serious about being in business. And so, you know, it, you know, protecting, paying to protect costs one amount. Um, it's 90% more to pay to defend something yeah. legal. So, I mean, if you're going to invest, let's say you have to spend $2,000 to protect whatever it is you've got going on. Okay. Well, if you don't protect it, you can just multiply that by 90%. And that's probably what it would cost you if you don't protect it. And then you end up in a legal situation where you're having to defend yourself. It's going to be at mm-hmm. least 90 times more expensive to defend it. So, and don't just Google contracts, right? I mean, oh my I talked to you about this, yeah. but my boyfriend's a lawyer and we yeah lots of lawyer friends and I've just grown up around lawyers and my mom's worked for lawyers. Um, So like I know the importance of having things in place and lawyers and there's like a right way to do things. And I've had so many clients that just like Google contracts and things like that. And I'm like, Oh no. Well, and here's the thing. I mean, you know, there are a lot of sites, reputable sites that have sort of these templates. I mean, I myself Mm -hmm. have my own separate business that has, um, contract templates, but I've drafted them and I'm an attorney. So, I mean, mm-hmm. there are other sites that have the same and I can't say whether or not, you know, an attorney's drafted it or not. And that, but, and that's up to, you know, the consumer as to whether or not they understand or want to purchase those. Um, but, but I guess the thing is, is that if you don't really understand what you're, what you're signing or you don't understand what you're asking someone else to sign, then how do you, how are you going to enforce it? How are yeah. you going to know if someone's violating it? You know, so that's, I mean, that's the added value that, that a good attorney can bring to your team is that, I mean, here's, here's what you need. Number one, here it is. And now here's what it means. And then here's how you present it to your customer or your client mm-hmm. or to whoever you're pitching, you know, mm-hmm. um, because that's also a piece of it. I get that all the time. Like, I don't know how, okay, I get this contract and I don't want to come off as, you know, being too aggressive or, you yeah. know, what if they, what if I give this contract to them and they say no, because I'm being too pushy. I'm like, I've mm-hmm. never received a contract from somebody where, I thought that person was being pushy. I received the contract. I'm like, oh, good. They're like serious about business and they want to protect what they've got going on. But they're also interested in protecting the relationship that we're cultivating. So, yeah. um, Now, in terms of someone knocking off sort of, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, your products. Mm -hmm. So so that's something as well that you think. Now, do you need that for every design or just your brand in general? Like, how does that generally work? Because that's actually something I feel like a lot of my my clients and just creatives that I know in general they kind of deal with that especially with the internet and social media being so big it's so much easier to see other people's work and then you know knock it off and I know there's the fine line between inspiration and uh, you know completely copying something so talk to the listeners about that because I think they'd be interested okay yeah so so the two pieces that I deal with most are trademark and copyright so when you think about copyright copyright is protecting whatever the created work is. So if you are, if you 
design fabrics or if you're an artist or if you're a photographer or you write music or a book or whatever the content is, mm -hmm. um, that's what would be most likely copyright protected. Um, okay. tra trademark is protecting your brand. So whatever your brand name is, whatever your logo is, whatever your tagline, um, if you have specific packaging for your for your products that are is unique and like when someone walks in a store, they're like, oh, I, that's that brand because it's got that packaging, you know, mm -hmm. um, that's protected under trademark. So it's two sort of complementary pieces of intellectual property law that can work independent of one another, but can also sometimes overlap depending on. Um, but but that's where the business needs to have someone, you know, speak to that. Um, if yeah. you own a business, you probably have at least one trademark in your business. If you, okay. if you own a creative business and you're creating content or things, products, then you probably not only have trademark, you probably have copyright, you know, potential works that need to pre be protected. Um, what I tell people as far as copyrights concerned, and this gets really tricky because a lot of times people will come to me after they've started their business and they've put mm -hmm. things out there to sell and all of that, um, is to create protect, meaning register um, and protect the, the copyright, um, and then sell, market, publish, you know, put it out there to the world to monetize. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times what inevitably, inevitably what happens is people create and then they put it out to Instagram and, you know, yes. on, their, on their website. And then they're like, oh, oh, well, we've gotten bigger now. We need to, we need to, yeah, we exactly. need to protect. And so that's a lot of times where clients will come to me. And then when I explain to them what, you know, what's happened or what they're doing, you know, I have this, you know, they have this deer in the headlights look and I, it even, it even comes through on zoom pretty well too. I can see that they have this deer in the headlights look and I'm like, it's okay. Like we can strategize, we can get you caught back up, but then after we get you caught up and protected, then, you know, you really need to think strongly about this whole idea of create and then build in protect, you know, protect mm -hmm. as part of your process, protect, and then put it out there. And that's tricky, you know, to sort of here I am coming in and changing their, you know, their process a little bit, but, um, but those who do it, you know, it, it's, it is, a, it is an adjustment at the out, you know, at the beginning, but once they start, it's like, okay, now that becomes the new process. So, yeah. Um, and now I also want to talk about, um, cause I, I know that you've talked about this before on some zooms and social media, yeah. but the thing that's going around with Instagram right now, where it's like, a bot or a hacker messaging yeah. saying that there's copyright issues and then people getting hacked. So can you just like talk a little bit about that? Um, Cause I know probably many of my listeners have had this message come to them and have been confused. Yeah. So um, yeah, I've known a couple people that this has happened to. It's really scary. Um, copyright infringement. So if you're, if you're creating your own content, then you don't have to worry. If you're creating your own photographs, your own graphics, your own, um, you know, photos of your products or whatever that is, or if you're contracting with someone and they're, that person's taking your photographs and you have the rights to those photographs, then you, then you know, a hundred percent that you don't have to work. Like if someone DMs you, which I think that's strange anyway, that you would get a DM saying something legal. Um, yeah. That, that would be my first red flag. I would be like, why am I getting a DM? Why am I not getting an email or some sort of, you know, formal letter if that's, if that's mm -hmm. the case? Um, so that would be my first flag if you get a DM. 
Um, but if you're, you're creating your own content for your Instagram, uh, then you really don't have anything to worry about because there's no, there is no claim. There's no, you're not copying, you know, um, mm -hmm. if you are, you know, if you are taking photos from someone else's, um, from someone else's feed, um, and, and especially if they don't know it, yep. um, then you may have an issue and then you may want to look into it, but I wouldn't click through any links. Um, I would certainly vet out whoever the, whoever it is that's contacting you, um, or, ha you know, ha move the conversation off of whatever the platform is make the, you know, just because someone says, Hey, you're doing something wrong. Doesn't mean you have to like, you can ask a question like, how do you know this? Show me proof. I mean, ask, ask, return the return, whatever they're saying with a question, you know, rather than just okay. clicking through and thinking that like, oh gosh, I have to, you know, it's like they hit the panic button and then we all, you know, <laughs> we hit click and then it's like, ah, you know, something they hack in, you know, so, I mean, that, and that's what they're counting on. Um, so, so the best thing to do is take a deep breath and think first you know, like, is that true? Is that, a, am I, where, how am I doing it? You know, step back from it. Don't respond to it yeah. right away. Um, Cause I think that's our first impulse sometimes is when, especially if you're, if we're rule, if you're a rule follower and I'm definitely a rule follower. Like, <laughs> that's me too. <laughs> so, so like if, if, you know, when someone says you're not doing it by the rules, I'm like, what, what did I do? You know, what, how did I do it wrong? I'm, you know, and, and so my first instinct is to want to respond and make it right, you know, but like yeah. if you can just pause and step back a second and like evaluate what they're saying, you know, and maybe, maybe what they're saying is true, you know, but just take a second. That'll take that anxious and like, you know, instinct to like want to respond immediately out of the equation and you can hopefully think a little more clearly and, and not get yourself in a situation where you're hacked. If you do get hacked, which a, a, a friend of mine did recently, actually a couple of friends of mine did recently. Yeah. Um, persistency is what it, it persistence is what will pay off in the end. Um, I mean, if you have, if you have your trademark registered, then it's a lot easier to get, the the hack the hackers down because then you can show that you're the rightful owner of whatever that mark is that they're that they've hacked into or that they're trying to to impersonate um but persistence with um whatever the platform is pays off i know with in both both cases one one was in florida one was in atlanta um they just continued to pound this platform and in each in each of their cases they had five five figure followers you know mm -hmm. one had 60 something thousand and one had you know close to 15,000 so i mean in both of those situations they did not want to lose those followings because yeah. those were substantial um you know to their business and so um so just persistency uh, then yeah just continuing but if you have the legal documentation then you know the the persistence coupled with that legal documentation gives that platform, you know, the legal authority to say like, okay, then we can make this decision more quickly because here's mm -hmm. the legal, here's the legal background. Yeah. That they, that yeah. they're not, that they're telling us the truth, you know? Yeah. So now I have some fun, like short answer first oh, thing gosh. that comes okay. to your mind. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> so Here we go. the first one is who inspires you? It could be like just in life or business or whatever. Like who's someone that inspires you? Oh, this is the one I didn't write like a quick answer down to. Let's see here. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, 
I, this is going to sound like a really, like maybe a cop out, but I, I don't necessarily have one person that I'm just like, oh, wow, they inspire me. But I, there are so many people that I gain inspiration from just, I mean, and not necessarily notable people, but just like Mm -hmm. listening to people's stories. Like I heard one at the Southern Sea and, um, she was talking about how she lost her business and then she picked up and she started a whole new business in 2020. Like Mm -hmm. I was almost in tears listening to her story. Like that was totally, I mean, and you know, I mean, she's not on Oprah or anything, but just totally inspirational. Like she had the, the just courage and the guts to just like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. You know, I mean, but I hear stories like that all the time and people that I represent and different people that I talk to. And so like, I don't know if it's necessarily a person, but when I hear a story about someone who's had to pivot or who's been through something difficult and, and just kept pushing through it, like that really pushes my buttons. I love hearing Uh stories like that. Yep. No, I just, I'm inspired by creatives in general for just chasing their dreams and figuring it out and yeah, putting in the hustle. It is hard. So that's admirable. I mean, I think, I think a lot of times we, you know, maybe not creatives because creatives know how hard it is, but like people who are on the outside looking in, they're like, I can remember when we were, you know, exhibiting, you know, at the trade shows, um, we're like, Oh, this is so pretty. And I'm like, you have no idea how much blood, sweat and tears went into like holding this whole booth together. It's like all held together by basically Velcro, right? This minute, you know? But it's like, um, you know, it, it was so much hard work and just yeah. lots of sleepless nights. So I just, I applaud all of those people. And, um, and definitely there's always going to be mountaintops and valleys and pushing I mean, mountaintops are great. You know, you just kind of coast a little bit, but like the yeah. valleys, that's where you really find out what you're made of. And there's so many people that I admire that push through those valleys and, and get to the other side. And it's something spectacular on the other side that they never could have dreamed of. So. Definitely. So since this is the preppy podcast, yes. um, I always ask everyone, what does preppy mean to you? So how okay. would you describe preppy? I did think about this. Um, <laughs> so I sort of in my mind, my mind's eye, when I think about preppy, um, I think of, I had two visions sort of in my mind. Like I see someone, someone that's preppy, they're sort of a cool understated, like, you know, someone who wears, who has, you know, creams and navies and just very understated elegance. And then I also think of that other, maybe the other preppy side, which is like bright, fun colors, resort type, you know, greens and pinks and just fun, bright patterns. Um, And I don't know, I just like, I see them in, in both ways, but I always see it as sort of like sometimes whimsical, but then always classic and understated. Yeah, no, I think that's a perfect answer. Thanks. Now, what's your go-to drink order? It could be like your Starbucks order or a cocktail or wine. What's your favorite drink? Okay, y'all are going to laugh at me. Um, (laughs) I'm a Diet Coke-aholic, first of all. So yes, I'm here actually. I love a good Diet Coke. Always Diet Coke. Um, So that may, that may, not bode well for me later, but anyway, Diet Coke <laughs> and then any kind of iced coffee drink. Um, I, I love any type of, I'm not a hot, hot drink person at all. So, um, 
So yeah, those are my something cold. Yeah, something cold. Um, shout out to some of your favorite small brands. Like who are some of your, whether it's clothing or decor, like what small brands are you loving right now that you can give a little yeah. shout out to yeah, for yeah, people yeah. to check out? Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so I just bought a beautiful piece of art from Wendy O'Connor. Um, she does the Chica's the Chica's paintings. I love her stuff. And if you follow her Instagram, you will just, I mean, you'll love it. Um, mm. Larkin, Larkin Lane, um, Southern Bungalow. Um, I have this candle in my office and it's um, citrus blossom. It smells so good. Um, I love Megan Karn art. She does um, these fun paintings in bright, fun colors of different animals. And um, anyway, she's so cool. And Tiny Tassel there in Charleston. She just opened up a flagship store there and um, she just has the cutest jewelry, accessories, um, clothing. Um, and then M Donahue is a new brand I found after going to Southern Sea. She's out in yeah. te- Texas. And yeah. I've told her, I'm like, I'm buying a pair of earrings every month. <laughs> <laughs> she has the cutest um earrings it, well actually jewelry in general but like I love her earrings so um those are some of my ones I'm loving right now I love all of those yay what's one thing you think every entrepreneur should read like is there a book that you've read or or it could if you're not a book person be a podcast or like a, a movie or a show yeah or yeah 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 um <clears throat> I love all of those. I just love consuming content. <laughs> I like to read and do, and I listen to podcasts all the time. So, um, so I have been studying the Enneagram lately. Um, I love learning new stuff. So I don't know how many of your listeners are familiar with the Enneagram, but I just did a whole yeah. course on it. And um, so the book that I read was called the essential Enneagram. Um, it's fascinating. Like it's, I just think it's interesting to learn about that. So, um, yeah. And I well, think it's then it like, I was going to say, yeah, think, that's what I was just going to say. <laughs> yeah. I think it's helpful in business because, um, I mean, it's been helpful, like even in our family, you know, it's like, okay, this is, this is what makes me go. These are my motivations. Once you kind of figure out where you fit in, you know, and then, but then you can, figure out like, okay, where do my team members fit in? And there's no right or wrong, you know, it's just, it's helping you figure out like what motivates everybody and, and, and how do they, how do they work best? How do they operate best? What, what frustrates them? What makes them get going, you know, because it's not, it's not always the same thing. And a lot of times I think we try to, to, you know, get people to get going based on how we would get going. And maybe that's not exactly, you know, the right answer because we're all, you know, have different, different sort of personality types and motivations. And so, Mm -hmm. um, what speaks to me might not speak to, you know, the other person. So, um, anyway, I I remember we had to do that. Um, I worked in the writing center at my college. And so I did that back when I was probably, I don't know, 19 or something. And it, I've always found it really interesting and helpful. And I always, uh, I made Will do it and everything. Yeah, yeah. So how we communicate and yeah. all of that, yeah. Well, so, and then, okay, so here's one other book. It's not totally unrelated, but it's a book that I'm reading right now. It's called Focus. Um, so I pick a word every year to sort of be my word of the year. And so this year it was Focus, but I didn't pick the book. I picked the word before I picked the book. Well, it turns out um, this, um, 
uh, Clear Cherry. I don't know if you've heard of her. She owns the company called Clearly Stated and she has a ton of inspirational products. She's just the cutest thing. Well, anyway, she's an author too. And so she just came out with this book called Focus. And I was like, oh, perfect. Now I have a book that I can focus on. (laughs) And um, so it's, it's outstanding. Like it's, I mean, it's not a business book. It's a devotional book, but I recommend it. Like, cause you take one word per week and you focus on that one word and what it means and then how to sort of see it in your life and then implement it in your life. She's brilliant. She's brilliant too. I mean, I guess she's kind of a brand, but she's also an author, but Mm -hmm. follow her Instagram too, because she has like best, words of the day, um, every day. So very wise. I love that. Yeah. She, I love her stuff yeah. for sure. Yeah. I didn't realize that she wrote books though. I always yes. have seen her products, but yeah. 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 Very cool. So is there any sneak peeks or like what's next for you? Like, are you offering some sort of course or, um, I don't know. Is there some, yeah. you talked about some contracts that people could buy on your website, like yeah. anything like that for listeners? Yeah. So, um, a couple things coming up. Um, I'm actually, we're in pre-production for a TV commercial, which is a little, I don't know, it's so stressful. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, you, every, you know, when you're creative, you have to step outside of your comfort zone. Um, TV production is definitely outside of my comfort zone. <laughs> so anyway, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm embracing the uncomfortability and like just diving in and trying to learn, ask all the dumb questions because I don't know what I'm doing, but just, you know, t- embracing it and learning it as I go. So, um, mm-hmm. so I think this month, actually, this is April. Yeah. So I think this month um, <clears throat> we will be uh, launching that commercial. And then in May, we will be launching a podcast called Angie Avard Turner Show, so um, but it'll have two pieces to it. It will have quick questions and then it will have gracious counsel. And so the quick questions piece of it will be me sort of delving into specific legal questions, but not oh. not in a n- nerdy theoretically, nobody can understand, but in a practical, here's your tips kind of way. And then the gracious counsel piece will be me just chit chatting with um, different business owners for them to impart wisdom, you know, to different, to whoever the listeners are. So that's so cool. That's super exciting. I'll have to tune in then when that's out. So now my last question is, where can people find you? Let them know your website address, your social media handles. That way they can follow along and contact you if they have any questions or are in need of your services. Sure. It's real easy. So everything is Angie Avard Turner Law. I'm there on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. And then, of course, my website is the same, AngieAvardTurnerLaw.com. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Angie. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Preppy Podcast. I hope this put a little prep in your step for the day. Please subscribe, rate, and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow along with at the Preppy Podcast on social media. 